Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's October the 5th, 2021, and um, frequent, regular viewers know we live in an age of great disruption media disruption, political, cultural, economic disruption. The D word comes up on practically every show. And I like to think that the show itself is, if not a, an agent of destruction, certainly uh, a player in the destructive world. We're not just a podcast. We're not just a video series. We're not just an online publication. We're all of the above. You can um, sign up. For the podcast, the traditional podcast, the Keen On podcast. You can stream the video live, and some of you are probably watching this live on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Um, you can subscribe to our blog, our regular blog on, on Substack. Um, and uh, earlier today, uh, I did a show about other kinds of media disruption. I talked to the journalist, uh, Zach uh, O'Malley Greenberg about a, a substack partnership he's developing uh, to write into books. We are all musicians now, which is about not only the disruption of the music business, um, but the disruption of journalism and writing itself. Uh, as a follow-up to the Greenberg interview, I'm talking to another uh, radical uh, disruptor. That's Greenberg. Uh, today's uh, disruptor uh, is David Krishna. He's uh, a magazine writer, very distinguished uh, writer of books, and uh, his work has been adapted many times to Hollywood and television. Um, and he himself has just inked a deal with Substack. Uh, and I'm thrilled that David is joining us from uh, New Jersey, which is, David, is that a disruptive state or is it um, a still a pre-disruption? <laughs> oh, I think New Jersey is always stirring things up. So I'm, I'm good. Happy well, you're here. certainly, uh, David. You're uh, certainly uh, stirring things up with this new Substack deal. Uh, like um, like Zach Greenberg, uh, you're rethinking publishing, aren't you? In terms of your relationship, not just with Substack, but with traditional publishers. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is a volatile time in the uh, publishing industry. You know, magazines in particular uh, have taken a hit. You know, over over the past uh, several years with with loss of advertising. You know, obviously we're hearing about layoffs. Um, so you know, it's a time when uh, th there is a need for for more outlets, um, opportunities for writers to tell the kinds of stories that they want to tell. And, um, and for me, you know, uh, it's something that I've been thinking about for quite a while. Um, you know, I, I've written for many different magazines over the years, Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, The New Yorker. I've authored several books, but there are always uh, more stories out there that I want to tell. And, um, you know, I was looking for a way to do that in a way that made sense and, and provided a kind of a model um, that was workable for me. And um, Substack has really filled that need. And let's be clear, these are, these are not advertisements for Substack, um, but um, 
I was introduced to you both, you and Greenberg, by the Substack people. I'm curious as to your business models. Your your model is different from Greenberg, though. He worked for Forbes. You um, you tend to be a bit more eclectic. A lot of your uh, pieces of journalism are long form. They require uh, a lot of work. You work for magazines like Outside, uh, Esquire, Rolling Stone. How long does a typical magazine piece take you to write? Um, it's a good question. It can take a while. I mean, you know, I I can spend a year just trying to get somebody to talk with me. Um, that's that that does happen. Um, well, David, you need to to write a magazine piece about me. It won't take a year to talk to me. <laughs> Are you all serious? I mean, a year? Who who took a year for you to oh, talk? Absolutely. Oh, well, I mean, often there are people whose lives are in the balance, you know, um, people like, for example, um, there's a story I did for GQ magazine a while back about a bank robber. Um, and, you know, they're working their way through the court system. They don't know if they want to share their story. Um, there was another one I did for Vanity Fair about a megachurch pastor who became a drug runner for the cartel. He had right. a lot of concerns about coming forward. So, yeah, it's a long it's a long game that I play. Um, but, you know, when I see I'm drawn to stories that are um, taking us into worlds that we haven't been to with characters who are a bit on the fringes. So, you know, it does take work to, to get in there. And then once I do, um, it takes time to report the story. And 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 so, you know, it, it could really it could be anywhere from a few months to to over a year. Yeah, I was. Um, I think I first became familiar with your work with the um, with the piece you did about Silk Road, uh, Ross Ulbricht's um, big fall in in Rolling Stone. That was a very influential piece. That was one of the first major pieces that revealed the nature of the Sil Silk Road and uh, and of the dark internet. So, is your business model traditionally, David? And um, please explain if I'm wrong here. A magazine like Rolling Stone will pay you a reasonable amount of money to do some serious work. And out of that piece, you'll write a book. Uh, and then perhaps out of the book or perhaps the magazine piece, you'll get a, a television or movie adaption. I mean, a lot of your work is is currently in production. Um, uh, you have the, uh, the, the Zola Tells All musical that's coming on. Um, and also uh, Dead End on Silk Road, I think is being made into a television show or movie. Is that the core business model? Is you're always um, selling on your product? Well, just to be clear, Zola, Zola actually came out already as a film, um, and then uh, Silk Road came out, and then there's Spike Lee is working on a musical, which is an adaptation. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I meant that. Yeah, Spike no worries. Was, right, right, um, right. Uh, the, the, the musical is a Esquire story I did about the, the birth of Viagra, um, which is, uh, um, you know, being developed by Spike Lee. Um, you know, for me, the number one focus is the story itself. I mean, I'm, I'm a journalist. That's what I've always done. Um, I've just been drawn to cinematic storytelling. That's the kind of uh, narrative nonfiction that I grew up with, and that's the kind that I practice. Sometimes those stories um, have more legs, and and if they do, um, maybe I'll pursue a book. I've done that on a few occasions. Um, you know, my first book, Masters of Doom, which was about um, um, the guys who made the, the seminal computer games, Doom and Quake, started with magazine pieces. 
um, and so on. I mean, I, but then I, I did a story called Levittown, which was about, um, you know, a civil rights story um, in this mass produced uh, American suburb, which was that just started as a book. So it depends. And then, yes, I mean, sometimes they do get optioned and, and adapted and developed for TV or film. I mean, there's a very strong desire in Hollywood for, for true stories and, um, you know, in, in the kind of stories that I, I traffic in. You're a master of your trade. You're one of the leading magazine, long form magazine writers in America. Do you think the fact that you've gone over to Substack, at least for, for this experiment, reflects the crisis in the industry in terms of serious long form writers like yourself struggling? And I'm not saying you're struggling to make a living, but struggling to figure out how to monetize their craft. Um, you know, it's definitely, I don't know, honestly, if I was starting out in this climate, it would have been very different. You know, I, I was fortunate to have started out um, at a time when, you know, magazines were sending you around the world and doing those long pieces. I mean, that still does happen, um, but but things have definitely changed. And, um, you know, for me, Substack, it's not so much... And there, you know, that's that's one one place that you could do a newsletter. But a newsletter in general, um, I think, you know, number one for me, speaking for myself, it gives me freedom and flexibility, so I can cover the stories that I want to to cover in the way that I want to cover them. Um, but you know, Substack does have um, a way that writers can uh, can charge subscriptions and monetize. Yeah, and I signed up already for your um, okay, thank you for your newsletter, and I immediately got a a response from you thanking uh, thanking me. Okay, but well, my understanding you. of your deal with Substack is that they paid you like a publisher; they gave you an upfront to work exclusively with them in terms of serializing your new book. Is that fair? Um, no, actually, not. It's not. You know, I'm I'm still free to to write wherever I want to write, but um you know, and I don't want to get into all the financials, but they're basically what they've done is um, they have these deals where they're providing um, some edit, edit, editing services and design services and, you know, the kind of um, behind the scenes support. Like you said, I mean, long form journalism in, in particular, you know, it's not just me. It's a team of people. So um, editors, designer, copy editor, lawyer. Um, so there is an opportunity to get that kind of support, um, you know, through, through, um, but isn't that what, uh, David, isn't that what publishers normally give you? Um, mm -hmm. you, uh, you mentioned your masters of doom. This new book is in, in some ways a follow-up to that. I mean, that did very well as a traditional published book and publishers mm -hmm. provide the marketing and the legal yeah. Um, is, is, is that something you've become disillusioned with? Has the industry changed so that you no longer get that from publishers? Um, what publishers, no. that is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm disillusioned. It's just that to me, it's about, um, having another opportunity for, for storytelling, having another venue for storytelling, um, you know, book publishers, that's that's a whole separate conversation almost because book when you know when you're writing a, a, a long uh, a piece of narrative nonfiction as a book, um, the publishers don't actually provide um, some of the things you get with a magazine like fact checking. 
um, you know, and uh, and it's a it's a different kind of an editorial process, at least in my experience. It's a bit more conceptual, um, you know. So uh, are you saying that Substack provided the, the fact checking? They're sort of combining both magazine and book publishing for you? Well, they're they're you know, there's an opportunity for, to, to have fact checking as part of the, yeah, the services, copy editing, um, top editing it's, but it's all independently driven. So I'm able to, you know, bring in people who I've worked with in the past. Um, you know, for example, on this new project, I'm working on this long form kind of book project. I'm working with a former editor of mine, uh, from Wired named Chris Baker. So, um, you know, I can continue these relationships um in, in in a different um a different bank. yeah it's similar to what greenberg was telling me basically it seems mm -hmm. to me what's happening it's certainly with you and and greenberg maybe not completely typical but you you have these pre-existing relationships with editors with marketing people mm -hmm. um and everyone's becoming freelance mm -hmm. and under the umbrella of say a a subsect a substack business deal you you as the creator are reassembling this creative business coalition for mm -hmm. your own purposes so mm -hmm. you are essentially replicating the publisher without having to give up 90 percent of the the profit is that one way of well, putting it? to give up whatever percentage yeah, yeah that, I mean, that uh, is and we know and and uh, right. it's 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 no secret amongst writers i've worked with you know i haven't written a number of books as well is publishers take the lion's share of the revenue which is why many yeah. many writers are very frustrated with the current state of the business yeah you know for me honestly the way that i approach what i do is i want i find a story that i want to tell and it kind of takes me it takes 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 over and i and i have a strong desire to tell it and i figure that I've been doing this long enough that I trust my instinct. And if it's a story that's super compelling to me, you know, um, I think the rest just kind of comes in terms of the interest in it and audience and maybe derivatives and all of that. So, you know, I'm a bit different in that way in that I didn't leave a full-time job to come to Substack. I've been freelancing for, for decades. So, um, but for me, but really, the, if there's a frustration that I felt, um, it's just in uh, how the, the the options out there for for telling long form stories has has gotten smaller. And um, and the, and what a lot of people don't understand, and and they don't need to necessarily understand. But um, you know, while the internet has plenty of uh publications out there and and and, and there have been other you know uh, medium the platform where people could could certainly write long form the difference with with this newsletter model is that you do you can have that the team uh behind the scenes to you know help put a story together and there is a actually a subscription model in place um so that you can you can try to monetize that um, so that's what really makes it unique. But, you know, there there are no guarantees, certainly. And um, I think what we've seen so far, um, you know, in the world of the newsletters, in the world of Substack, is you've got these, you know, you have a certain group of writers who are, they tend to be a bit more um, pontificators or opinion writers, you know, um, 
who've got these massive social media followings. You mean the, the Andrew Sullivan's of the world. And the Glenn Greenwald's and all of that. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of, they're really tailor made for, for this kind of a thing because they have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and they're out there fighting their good fight, whatever it is. And, 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 you know, and, and people are part of that conversation. I'm a different breed of writer. You know, I'm, I'm sort of always tried to be a bit more invisible um, and really just kind of tell the stories I haven't. Can you be a, a, the point, David, is you may be a traditional writer in your invisibility, no. your unwillingness to be a Greenwald or a, a Sullivan mm. and be the story itself. But is it possible these days in an increasingly digitally driven creative economy to just sit in a room and write? Don't you have to be a marketer? Don't you have I'm trying. to I, You know, that's my, that's what I like to do. I don't know. Yeah, but you're doing this deal with, with Substack. Yeah. Um, you uh, clearly have sat down with them. You've been willing to walk away from a traditional publisher. So even for someone as sort of less combative, combative like yourself, mm -hmm. There can be a lot in our audience, particularly on Lit Hub. There are a lot of aspiring writers and, and actual writers who are yeah. scratching their heads in this disruptive time, thinking, how can I keep up? How can I continue to make a living? Right. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give them? I think that um, the advice that I give, and I teach journalism occasionally, and I've taught at NYU, and I've taught at Princeton University, and the advice that I always give is just to write and to write, you know, just to keep writing and get those stories out there, which sounds a bit obvious, but, but I think that um, in this day and age, like you don't have to um, necessarily even be writing for a Rolling Stone or you don't even have to be, um, you know, doing something under contract. I mean, I think that we've seen um, that the internet is a place where stories can go viral and non-traditional writers can go viral, you know, uh, on platforms that people aren't, um, you know, necessarily associating with storytelling. I mean, it's not journalism exactly, but um, you know, the story that I that I wrote about Zola, um, she was really notable because she took a platform, uh, Twitter, and and used it as a way to tell her own story, and she told it in a very innovative way over um you know dozens of tweets and um and aside from the content of what what she wrote which was certainly compelling you know my interest in her at the time when i wrote that story was like wow this is a writer who's found a platform for sharing her story that's different and has found an international audience so she's someone who did it and uh and in fact i i think that the same thing can come out of um a newsletter it hasn't happened yet I mean, there are, there, are newslet there are certainly newsletter writers out there who have found giant audiences and, um, you know, and who are doing well. But I think that um, it's only a matter of time before a story rises from that, that platform and really captures um, the, the public's imagination and interest. David, the, the variety piece about your deal with Substack suggests, and I'm quoting uh, the Variety piece, they write, it's notable that an author as frequently adapted as Kushner would seek a deal like this, which guarantees him sole adaptive rights in an age where publishing houses like Condé Nast have ambitious content production divisions. 
a variety right um does this give you more muscle in terms of adaptive rights uh, working with substack as opposed to working with a traditional publisher um i'm a big fan of prince and uh, the musician and prince always talked about um you know owning your own masters and i i certainly ascribe to that um you know i believe in in owning my own intellectual property which which means the stories that i write so you know magazines have to do what they have to do now um because advertising is down um they've got to find other ways to to stay in business and one of the ways they're doing that is by um, taking some of the, the the rights to the stories, and I, I don't fault them for that. Um, you know, for someone like myself who does have um, you know a lot of stories that do end up getting optioned and developed, you know, it's in my best interest to just uh, maintain those rights myself. So um, you know, not all magazines are trying to do that; most are. Um, so to have something like Substack is 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 nice for me because it's a way that I can just, um, you know, n again, really not only not only keep my rights, but just tell the sort of stories that I want to tell. I mean, for example, um, this past week, um, I serialized my first long form um, narrative nonfiction story on Substack. Um, it's called Renaissance Texas, and it's about a, uh, a murder that happened at the world's largest renaissance festival which is down in texas and you know that it's an odd story um which people can go out and read right now but it's one that i had been kind of toying around with for 17 years and um and it was the kind of piece that you know it's timely now because this this event that i wrote about it's about to start i found out some new information and you know if i had taken that to a magazine it takes a while. You have to wait. There has to be meetings. You know, it's it's um it's a whole process. Whereas, you know, now with the newsletter, I was able to tell it when I wanted to tell it and how I wanted to tell it, and um, I was able to do it and and take some risks with it actually. Um, that I, I still don't know how it went <laughs> to be honest because I just put it out there. But um, you know, and I, I basically serializing a story. Um, over nine posts uh, on the newsletter using different kinds of media. So, so David, when if a, if a magazine editor or owner is watching this, they're scratching their head and worrying hmm. that they're losing creative talent like you. Is the logical way back for a magazine to challenge the counters new media companies like Substack to create their own Substack-like businesses, what, what does a magazine do to survive? To keep you going? know, if I knew that, I'd probably start a magazine. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I really, I truly, I don't know the answer. I mean, I think empirically, um, I would love to see magazines, um, you know, uh, you know, provide writers with the rights to their intellectual property. I mean, magazines were around for a long time. But why can't you know, magazines add a Substack-like? um interface so that yeah i mean i think some right people certainly... can do exactly what you're doing on right. Substack, but under yeah. established brands like rolling stone or esquire well i mean there are you know you do see newsletters certainly around the new york times and and places like that so i don't know i mean i think they're they're having to shift and they're having to figure it out um and i think that uh you know for for writers who are just starting out 
you know, going back to your question, um, the good news is that um, uh, with the internet and with newsletters, you can be out there and doing those stories yourself. There's nothing stopping anyone who's watching this from finding the next Zola and writing their story and putting it out there. And, you know, you, you could, you could hire, I mean, there are certain people out there. There are certainly people out there who can help um, to edit and all that. Those resources are there. Yes, it, it does require risk. Um, but, you know, the opportunity is there. And back when I was starting out, you know, I really didn't have an option except for the established magazines and I had to work my way up there. Um, so, you know, I think that the, I'm optimistic about the future of journalism. I mean, I have to be, and I'd like to think that the, the good writers and the good stories are just going to find their audience. David, tell me about this new project. Um, your, your, your new book is going to be called Masters of Disruption, and it's in some ways a follow-up to your 2003 book, Masters of Doom. It's about how gamers are disrupting the world or have disrupted the world. Yeah. Uh, what's the the um what's the elevator pitch on the book and how are you going to develop a, a sort of a a, a, a multi-threaded narrative on um on uh, on Substack which will be different from what you do traditionally in magazines and books. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the I mean the idea of the the book I wrote Masters of Doom it came out almost 20 years ago and it was about the creators of the the seminal first person shooters Doom and Quake. And, um, you know, that book, for a lot of reasons, found a wide audience. I mean, I think it was a story about a time and a place and a group of people that it, it just doesn't happen that often. And um, um, the influence of that generation has become increasingly uh, profound, you know, and, a, and apparent um, with regard to just the world we live in today from virtual reality to cryptocurrency and community online, um, you can kind of trace a lot of these innovations back to these early days of gaming um, um, in the, you know, which started around the, the, the early to mid nineties. So I've been asked for a long time if I was going to write some kind of a follow-up to Masters of Doom. And I never really just felt compelled to do it. And I didn't really see, um, a story that that I thought would work. But then when the newsletter came around, I, I thought that, you know, there is an opportunity to do this in a different way, um, in a way that I almost think of it as like a master class for myself and for the reader, um, where I can kind of follow that trajectory, follow these innovators over the last couple decades, how they grew out of that nascent um, internet gaming community to now really be some of the, um, you know, the most, uh, the prominent leaders in, in um, the field of technology. So um, this is a way to do it. And um, for me as a, as, as a writer, what's fun about it is that I can kind of write it in real time. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've made a few initial posts catching up with some of the people from the first book and, um, you know, in the days and weeks ahead, that will be expanding and um, into others, and it will be going down these certain avenues of conversation, um, looking at uh, at the world that they they helped to create. 
Uh, you're also known, uh, David, you have a, a podcast, Alligator Candy, which is uh, in part about a family tragedy from, from your past. Mm -hmm. uh, do you expect to develop a podcast around, um, around this new project uh, on disruption and gaming? Do you, do you see a, an audio, video, a visual uh, component to it? Well, in the in the feature story that I just ran, the Renaissance Texas, I, I did start playing around with that in terms of using video and voice notes and interview excerpts. So I do have similar plans for this project as well. Um, and they're they're really, you know, I think that I think that we live in a in an age now where people are consuming so many types of media all the time. I mean, you don't really think about something like a voice note. Um, as being a, a narrative ingredient, but it is, it's a narrative ingredient of our own lives, right? We're, we're getting a lot of information that way. So I think there's an opportunity to use pieces like that to put together into a larger puzzle that still tells a story. Um, it's not all going to work. And, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that evolves. And I'm, I'm actively pursuing this now. And I, like I'm, I'm calling it a post book in the sense that it's a book that's made of posts um, instead of chapters and that it's post in the sense of a new kind of storytelling. David, do you think creators, journalists, writers, novelists, nonfiction writers, they should all think of their work and their lives as a kind of game? <laughs> well, I guess life is a game, isn't it? But uh, I think that, I think that the gamification of the culture and, um, and, the, and it's interesting to think, I haven't thought about it explicitly in those terms, um, the kind of gamification of journalism. I don't think that means that you're dumbing it down. I mean, journalism is dumbing itself down enough already. It doesn't need the help of, of um, video games to do that. But I think the idea of engaging an audience in a new way using different kinds of media um, is something that journalists should think about. And that, um, you know, on the positive side, we have a lot of opportunity to be creative and to and to play with uh new narrative techniques so um it, it's uh it's in a very interesting time in that sense david as the old world crumbles as our political institutions perhaps even democracy itself is in crisis uh economic inequality cultural decay of one kind or another a lot of people are scratching their head and saying, how are we going to fix all this stuff and people often going backwards looking back at the new deal looking back at other um, cultural arrangements which used to exist. Do you think in order to look forward, gaming and the technology and culture of gaming might offer a path forward to fixing some of this stuff, which would be more um, forward thinking rather than nostalgic? I think that, um, you know, I think that what, what has risen out of the computer the, the the game industry and culture um that has been perhaps most profound is the engagement of the audience um as co-authors um and and what i mean by that is you know in the early days of pc gaming in the in the in the early to mid 90s um the creators of some of these games were actually giving the tools away giving software away to the audience so the audience could get in there and personalize the content um, it was considered heretical at the time why would you do that why would you let someone else have your code they could copy it they could compete with you and so on but in fact what happened 
was that the audience, um, uh, the loyalty of the audience increased and the content improved because the, the, the consumers were able to, um, to help create the kind of um, content that they, they wanted and that they weren't getting. And some of them then went on to start their own companies. And so some of the biggest companies in gaming and some of the biggest games we know about now, um, for example, from, you know, Fortnite um, to early games like Counter-Strike and so on, um, you know, followed that, um, followed that path. So I think that if there's one legacy uh, that that industry has, it is that legacy of, uh, of engaging the audience to be co-authors and to to kind of create their own stories and to disseminate them and and then foster a community so um you've got a whole generation who grew up with that um that kind of mode of thinking that sensibility and that expectation and um i think that that uh that will continue to to manifest that co-authorship david um could you imagine innovating on that front with your new initiative, uh, this partnership with with Substack uh, and your Masters of Disruption project? Could you work with audience, especially in a newsletter form, to, to give your work more depth? Yeah, I mean, for what I'm doing, it's a little different. You know, it's not, I, I don't mean literally that people would be writing parts of the book, but the way that I look at that, manifesting is with the stories that I'm telling, you know, I mean, the people, for example, um, you know, there's a, in the, in the, the, the part of the book that I'm working on now deals with this um, concept of the metaverse, you know, of this virtual world that we will all um, perhaps be inhabiting soon. Facebook, you know, Mark Zuckerberg this summer said that he wants the company to be a metaverse company. Um, so there's this idea. So, but the metaverse really is being created by the people. It's being populated um, by the people out there. And those are the stories that I'm interested in telling. So um, in that sense, I would say, yes, you know, they are, they are kind of helping to author um, what this narrative is going to be. You are a disruptor, David, but you're a quiet one. You're a reticent, rather shy disruptor, but I think <laughs> those are the best kind of disruptors. And uh, this new work you're doing, Masters of Disruption, I think is going to be uh, really interesting. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, in addition to people who, who, who should sign up for your new Substack newsletter, uh, Masters of Disruption, I strongly encourage that. You're clearly a master of your trade and you're thinking ahead of a lot of other people. What else should people be reading and listening to and watching these days? You have your your finger on the pulse, I think, of our culture, particularly on the gaming front, as much as anyone. What mm -hmm. is what's interesting to you? What's keeping you awake these days? <laughs> My newsletter is keeping me awake. Yeah, I, apart from I, your newsletter, I wish I had more time to read your newsletter. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of. Keeping me is there anyone else's newsletter on Substack that you would suggest people sign up for that you're enjoying? Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in the people out there who are pushing the form. Um, so, for example, Jeff Tweedy. Um, he's the lead singer of of the band Wilco, and right. Jeff had recently started a newsletter called Starship Casual. And um, you know, I don't think you have. It's not necessarily even. I don't think you have to be a fan of 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 him necessarily um, to to really look at how here's an artist who is you know expressing himself in a way that he never could before, um, sharing 
um, you know, stories from his past, snippets of songs and so forth. The voice notes, I think the use of voice notes um, is is just something that's very compelling and a very it's it's deceptively light. I think people think of it as being a knockoff. You just talk in your phone for a second. But what it what it does is create this feeling of intimacy, you know, that you're it's almost like, you know, when you get them from Jeff, it's like he's leaving you a voicemail. Um, and, and that's, that's pretty powerful. Um, Patty Smith is another one who's doing this now, um, the musician and poet Patty Smith. Um, mm. so those are a couple people out there who I think and they're are rather old. I mean, it's the, these aren't young people, either of them. No, that's an interesting point. That's a very interesting point. That's a really, you know, the thing about it though, is what they, that you're right. They're, they're older, but they're experimenters. They're people who've yeah, had a well, lot of Smith in particular. I mean, she's, she's one of the great experimenters of, yeah. of. Of, of Absolutely. Culture. And I, and I think that's what they're bringing to it. And, um, you know, back in the back in the early 90s, I worked at a bulletin board service, which predates the the web is when you would dial up on a modem and it was text mm. only. And um, my job at the time was to try to get uh, uh, musicians to come in to chat. We didn't even have the word chat at the time, um, but they would come down to our, our a loft down in Tribeca and I would explain the internet to them and sit them down at a computer and it was interesting because at the time what you found it was the similar kinds of artists were the first ones to show up um so um you know david byrne was one of the first people to come down there uh for mm. example so well, david, david bowie was one of the the first exactly yeah artists to really understand how radical yeah. the internet was or could be yeah certainly bowie did but i think that it's just um in a way, it's a it's like a, a new language. It's like learning a new language. But you were involved with Sonic Net at the beginning, weren't you? I, I knew the Sonic Net people too. I'm sorry. Were you involved with Sonic Net as well at the beginning? Yes. I mean, that's where I started. Right. Out. And I, um, I knew the Sonic Net people. I had a startup in the '90s called Audio Cafe, so I knew those people quite well. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. It was. It, it, this reminds me of that moment. Actually, this reminds me more of the early '90s than than I've seen um, since then, really. I think um, the opportunities now for, it's the first time that writers, I think, can can really participate in, um, in something disruptive like this, um, both creatively and economically. Finally, some good news, David Kushner. <laughs> We've had so much bad news from the environment to COVID to the crisis of democracy that it's good that you think uh, maybe uh, the internet is now becoming again uh, a force for for creativity that will enable i'm not sure on the economic front but certainly on the creative front mm -hmm. it's great for artists so david kushner congratulations on your on on your new project thank you uh, on this disruption i hope it's deeply disruptive and i hope uh, you'll come back on the show and talk more about thank its progress you uh, you seem a particularly honest person so you can tell me both uh, what you uh, are, are happy about and what you're disappointed with and it might even be interesting to develop some um, some interactive uh, ways of, of doing your disruption uh, project in association with this podcast. So thank yeah. you so much. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me.